Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, Merry Christmas to you early. Thank you so much for being here this evening. I want to welcome those of you who are part of the Bible Center family. I think I know just about everybody in the room, but in case someone's listening, someone's in the in the hallway somewhere and you hear this, if you're not from Bible Center, we want to make you feel welcome. Thank you so much uh, for being here this evening. I want to begin by sharing a few Christmas traditions from around the world. Um, I want to begin first with the Christmas tradition in Japan. Uh, forget the Christmas turkey for many in Japan. The traditional Christmas dinner is Kentucky Fried Chicken. I learned that for the first time this week. Due to a combination of tiny Japanese ovens and a clever marketing strategy, uh, th- convincing the locals that the fried chicken is a traditional American Yuletide feast, reservations actually have to be made in Japan to eat at KFC on Christmas Day. Here's another tradition for you. There's roller skates in Venezuela. In the week leading up to Christmas, many Venezuelans, especially in Caracas, have a tradition to travel to their Christmas worship services on skates. And the fancier the skates, the more excited they get. Here's another tradition, tossing shoes in the Czech Republic. On Christmas Eve, unmarried Czech women toss pairs of shoes into the air. If the shoes land with toes facing their front door, it means that they're going to be married within the year. But if their shoes land with heels facing the door, they're planning for another year of watching and waiting. Now, one of my favorite Christmas traditions here at Bible Center is is Christmas communion, and we do that every weekend prior to Christmas, of course, except for when Christmas actually falls uh, on the particular day of the service. And so when we think about communion, let's ask these questions. Why do we celebrate communion at Christmas? Why is this part of our worship throughout the rest of the year? What benefit does communion provide us, provide you as an individual? And what benefit does communion provide our entire church family? And then lastly, how can communion, Christmas communion, enrich your experience of Christmas? How can it deepen your meaning and appreciation for this time of year uh, along with the rest? Here's a burden on my heart this evening. My burden is that we remember, of course, the true meaning of the season, but that we make much of Jesus Christ for why he came. If we're not careful, we'll be so caught up with nativity scenes and wise men and the sheep and the cattle stall that we'll forget why Jesus had to come to begin with. And so that's why I love celebrating communion at Christmas, because we remember the real reason for which Jesus came. And so today I'm going to ask the question, why communion at Christmas, and I'm going to give you seven quick answers. Seven quick answers. It'll move quickly. Now, before we jump into the message, let me give you a couple pointers on how to enjoy this service, how to get the most out of this message. Uh, The first pointer that I want to give is that we're going to do a lot of responsive readings. 
responsive readings. And so I'm so excited that you're here because you'll get to uh, be a part of something we've not done here in a long time. And we get to do it tonight because there's no cameras on. Well, I think there's a camera on for folks down in the nursery. But other than that, we're actually not videoing. We're not recording this service. And uh, because of the way our TV schedule falls showing the Christmas program, I am thrilled. I feel like a kid with his bike who's finally allowed to like go to that next neighborhood that his mom wouldn't let him go to. I feel like totally unrestrained. So I can preach for three hours tonight, and I know you'll love it, and I know you'll stay and be excited. I'm just totally kidding. Uh, The message will be about as long as it typically is, but we're going to do some different things. You're going to help me preach the message by doing a few responsive readings from the Word of God. The second tip that may help you is the app. And I know that I think now that I've seen everybody here, everybody here knows about the app. On the app, there are the sermon notes. And I counted over 100 verses that I've put into the sermon outline. We're only going to look at a handful of them uh, this evening. But you can actually see a lot more about what I'm saying. I'd love for us to begin to use those sermon notes as part of our devotions throughout the week. So if there's something that I say that I might only give one verse for, Feel free to check out the sermon notes on the app and you'll see all the additional verses to get the most out of the message. So what do I want you to know? Why celebrate Christmas communion? Number one, it's a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. If you've been in church for any length of time, you, you know that, and most of you've heard that, and you know that's the case, but we're going to start with what we know, and we're going to move maybe towards some things that we've not heard as much. So let's do our first responsive reading. Of course, when it says pastor at the top, that's when I'll speak, and then when it says congregation, that's when I'll ask you to read, and I'll read along with you uh, to help you out. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's read verse 25 together. I'll read it. You can just follow along with me. Good and loud right there where you are, through the mask and all. Here we go. In the same way, after supper... He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The purpose of communion in this particular age is to point back to what Jesus did on the cross. Now think with me what it would have been like to stand there and watch that horrible event. You could have heard the cries of pain. You could feel the moist ground that had been stained with the mixture of sweat and blood of thieves and murderers. You could see the suffering, the internal and the external torment of those who were dying on crosses. The smell of death would have been so pungent and overwhelming. So it's with that thought that the Lord gives us an object lesson that involves all five senses. We're going to hear in a moment the breaking of the bread. I was amazed today to listen to a podcast 
uh, where someone had taken our services with our permission, and they did a podcast on what churches are doing in the pandemic to still try to stay safe and yet continue moving forward. And so part of the podcast was about how Bible Center Church still does communion uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And it's going to appear on, uh, you can catch it online, it's called the, the Us and Them podcast, but you can also see it on my Facebook page. Uh, but I think it'll actually go on NPR nationwide on Christmas Eve. And so there's a Bible Center uh, right there getting to share the message of what God has done here. But as, were, as I was listening to that podcast, you could hear the, the crackling of the bread. Our microphones picked it up and, and they amplified it. So we're going to hear the bread in this pandemic. It's a little frustrating with those communion packets to like try to pull the top film off first, and then you got to peel the second layer off. And like, why is it so frustrating? You know, there's part of that frustration that I like because I think that it just reminds us that this isn't how things are supposed to be. This isn't. This is the reason. One of the reasons Jesus came to die. We can feel the bread and the juice in our mouths. We can see the red juice and the broken bread. We can smell and taste the elements. The bread in particular is broken and chewed up just like the body of Jesus was broken and pierced and marred. The juice represents not the blood inside of Jesus' body, but the blood that was spilt out of his body. And so communion transports us back in time, back to the very real place in time, and gives us a sense of memory of what it would have been like when Jesus died on the cross. It gives us a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. Number two, why celebrate communion this Christmas? Number two, it's a time of purification as we confess our sins It's a time of purification as we, the people of God, confess our sins. Do we still sin even after we've put our faith in Jesus? I know I do. Most likely you do too. The Bible says we do. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 11. I'll read starting in verse 27 and you'll pick up in verse 31. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, think of this, if we take communion in an unworthy manner or in an unfitting manner, you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves." This is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now let's pick up together in verse 31. I will go do it together. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord... We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So God has designed communion for this to be a time when we together confess our sins. Now, is it the only time that we should confess our sins? Should we only, if we have communion once a month, should we only confess our sins once a month? 
Well, obviously not. We, we confess our sins daily, or the Lord invites us at least to confess our sins daily. We don't confess for God to then somehow clean our slate and wash us clean. But according to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, the moment you put your faith in Christ, all of your sins were washed away, past, present, and future. And the fact that you confess your sins daily is just a sign or a, an example. It points to the truth that you really are a Christian. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Real Christians are aware of their sin. Now, if you're like me, I can easily get to the place that I forget how big of a deal my sin really is. But if you think about it, our sin, another name for sin, if you're taking notes, is cosmic treason. Our sin, my sin, your sin, was cosmic treason against the Creator God. And so when we come together in communion and we take a moment, I usually try to give everybody a few minutes or a minute or so of just silence with the music playing so that we can confess our sin before we take of the bread and the juice. The reason I do that is so you can have a moment to examine yourself and confess your sins. It's a good time for you to ask, how is my heart toward the Lord? What is the present state of my relationship with Him? Is there some sin I'm holding back that I know I need to let go? Have I offended someone on purpose? Have I hurt someone on purpose that I might need to apologize for? Is there someone that I have bitterness or division toward? Communion is a time of purification as we confess our sins. So why communion? Why communion, especially at Christmas? Number three, Number three, it reminds us to praise and thank God for all he's done. It reminds us to praise and thank God for all he has done. There's different names for communion. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the Lord's Table. Some people call it Eucharist or Holy Eucharist. Um, the reason we often call it communion is just typically in our evangelical circles, that's kind of what we've gravitated toward, but it's perfectly acceptable if we wanted to call it Eucharist, we could call it Eucharist. Uh, they're one and the same in the scriptures. The word Eucharist is the Greek word for thanksgiving. It's the Greek word for thanksgiving. It just means it's a time of giving of thanks, which is why in the Gospels, after they took communion, when Jesus led them in, in that Passover, which became the New Testament communion, they went out and sung a hymn. They went out and sung a song when they were finished. There was this time of praise to the Lord, thanking him for what he had done. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. I love the Apostle Paul. He knew how to speak respectfully to people. He said, I'm speaking to sensible people. Now, I know tonight I'm speaking to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Now, if you will, join me in verse 16. Let's say this aloud together. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. And I'll finish with verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. 
for we all share one loaf. Now, this has been a really, really hard year for most of you. I know some of your stories, there's a very few people that have been able to get through this year unscathed. So there's blessings, sure, but it's been a hard year. But in the middle of being hard, there's plenty that we can thank the Lord for. But according to verse 16 that you read aloud with me, the greatest blessing that we have is that we still get to participate with Christ. He still picked us for his team. We're with him. We can have fellowship with Christ. We decided to follow Jesus. So communion reminds us to praise God for that and to thank God for the greatest blessing of all. More than our jobs. I love my family and would die for my family. But more than our families, more than our friends, more than our security, it's our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Why celebrate communion this Christmas? Number four, because it helps us proclaim that we are his followers or we're followers of and in participation with Jesus. Communion helps us proclaim that we are followers of and in participation with Jesus. Now, at the beginning of the message, I told you that the first few were going to be ones that we mostly knew, that we mostly understood. But, but these are things that I'm continuing to learn, and, and I invite you to go on the journey with me. Our creative God, think with me, gave us two signs, two illustrations, or two object lessons to remind ourselves and the people around us that we are believers, that we're Jesus followers, that we're part of his family. What are the two symbols that he's given us to remind ourselves and everybody else that we're to do when we become a Christian? What's the first thing we're to do when we become a Christian? Let's get baptized. We get baptized after we become a Christian. The second thing is communion. And so when we observe baptisms and communion, this is why our deacons and I have been working on being able to do communion, Lord willing, every Sunday uh, starting in January, early to mid-January. We can just go straight through and do communion every Sunday because you see that done actually in the early church. And uh, this pandemic may actually have helped us do that. Baptism is a whole different story. Uh, we are trying to figure out how we do baptisms in a pandemic with the health department's thumbs up and still keep everybody safe. And so we're working through that. We have some ideas. Um, but let's think about baptism for a minute. I need you to think about baptism, and then we're going to apply it to communion. So Romans 6, 1 through 3. Romans 6, 1 through 3 says this, talking about baptism. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let's read verse 4 together out loud. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism is a way for us to proclaim to the world that we 
are with Christ, that we're in Christ. Now, we get baptized typically once as believers. There's some debate. I've been baptized since I put my faith in Christ. Uh, I know some believers that when they go to Israel, they choose to, to just recommit their faith and be baptized again in the Jordan River. I don't have any qualms with that. There are some who chose not to, and there are some who chose to. But typically, you're baptized typically once in your life after you've put your faith in Christ. But communion is something the Lord in the New Testament calls us to do over and over again. In Acts 2.42, it seemed that weekly, if not even almost daily, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So communion helps us proclaim, like baptism, that we're followers of and in participation with Jesus. It's a sign for ourselves, for our fellow believers, and it's a sign for the world. Number five, why celebrate Christmas communion? Number five, it's when we uniquely enter the spiritual presence of Christ together as a church family. Communion is a time when we uniquely enter the spiritual presence of Christ together as a church family. Now think with me for a moment. On the individual level, Jesus is always with believers. Jesus is always with his followers. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you don't have to be in this building or with your brothers and sisters in Christ for Jesus to be with you. That's the beauty of being the priesthood of the believer. The Latin phrase for that is quorum Deo or quorum Christo. We live literally before the presence of Jesus. The ancient mystics likes to say that, that we, Jesus lives just beyond the veil. In other words, heaven isn't a million miles away, but Jesus and the spiritual realm are just beyond the veil. I love to think that way. But on the corporate level, together as a church family, there is something special that happens when we meet together for worship. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus promised, where two or three gather in my name, there I will be in their midst. Jesus, in some spiritual sense, is in our midst on Thursday nights. In some corporate way, when we gather. We're not going to read it, but Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, I think somewhere around around verse 22, verse 23, talks about the angels joining our corporate worship gatherings. The angels, Jesus, join when we gather as a church. That's why I'm so eager for this pandemic to be over. Now, by God's grace, we'll always have a, some sort of a broadcast, and that often is the front door uh, for church. But, and there's some people that can't, won't ever be able to make it out uh, to come to a gathering. But there's something beautiful when we gather as a church. But with all of that said, Christians have believed for two millennia that we somehow, as the church, step into the presence of Christ even more at communion. Here's some verses. We'll start with you this time. John 6.35. We'll read that aloud together. 
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life, he says in verse 48. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Now let's read verse 51 aloud together. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. I'd love to be able to take you guys there in 2022. You can actually stand in that location. It's really moving. So here's the question. Do, does the bread and does the juice, even in our packets, somehow, does this become the body and blood of Christ? Now, there are some who teach that. There are some uh, branches of Christianity that take these words so literally that they say that when you eat the bread and you drink the juice, that it somehow in your stomach becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. The problem with that is that there's really no scriptural basis for that at all. It seems to have more of a foundation in Plato, not in Jesus. That's Plato, not Plato. Um, pronounce my T's. However, let's also, this is important for us. This is where I think we are as a church. Let's avoid the other extreme. About four or 500 years ago, in contrast to the supposed magic, in contrast to some of the, the doctrines that were coming out of the Catholic Church, the reformers, specifically the Swiss reformers, swung the pendulum, I believe, too far the other way. They taught that communion is just a sign, a simple cognitive reminder of the historic fact that Christ had died for our sins. To many of the Swiss reformers, it was simply a mental exercise. Now here's, this is so important if you're taking notes. Communion, I believe, is a mental exercise, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just a time when we're engaging with God mentally, but it's a time when somehow, some way, we as corporately as the church are in the presence of God spiritually. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote about communion. He said, I don't know 
And I can't imagine what the disciples understood our Lord to mean, his body still unbroken and his blood unshed, when he handed them the bread and the wine, saying they were his body and blood. Yet I find no difficulty in believing that the veil between the worlds is nowhere else so thin and permeable to divine operation than at communion is what he's talking about. Here at communion, a hand from the hidden country touches not only my soul, but my body. Here is big medicine, and in a C.S. Lewis way, he says strong magic. The command, after all, was take and eat, not take and understand. Now, even 500 years ago, church leaders, the reformers that led what we call the Protestant Reformation, that churches like Bible Center have some roots in, the reformers were arguing about it, just like we do today still. Even the godliest of people argue. And they're arguing about it. You can just picture, they're trying to just decide like how much of the spiritual presence of Christ is in communion. And I love what, how, how John Calvin settles the debate. He says this, it is a mystery too sublime for me to be able to express or even to comprehend and to be still more explicit, I'd rather experience it than understand it. I'd rather experience it than understand it. Communion, even though we don't fully understand it, is a time when we as the church enter the spiritual presence of Christ in a beautiful and unique way. Why celebrate communion this Christmas? Number six, number six of seven is this. It's a meal that symbolizes our peace with God and one another. Communion is a meal that symbolizes our peace with God and with one another. Now, we would need an entire class to go through all these scriptures. You can see all of them in your notes. There's dozens of references there. But the idea is this, and the references, if you have time to read them this week, you're going to see over and over again in the Bible, in ancient times, God used meals to create peace between people who were at odds with one another. You see it over and over again. Jesus used peace to uses meals to create peace with people who are at odds with one another. Specifically, the Gospel of Luke. Some people call the Gospel of Luke the Gospel of food. Over and over again, food is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke more than any other gospel because Jesus is constantly going to have meals, specifically with sinners. Now, he did have, try to have meals with the religious leaders, trying to reason with them, but they wouldn't have anything of it. They always tried to catch him in some kind of trap. But think about it. Many of our greatest life memories, even today, involve food. I was thinking this week about how some foods that trigger some memories in my mind. One is a Nestle Quick chocolate, the, the, the dust that you, know, you put in your milk. Now, we had that in our house all the time. But for some reason, we only ever got it out when my Uncle Dave from Chicago came to visit. When Uncle Dave came to visit, I knew I was going to get Nestle Quick with chocolate. Now, I don't know why we only drank it when Uncle Dave was there. I probably could have asked for it. Mom was probably trying to just, you know, watch the calories. I don't know. But we ate, I, I, I associate Nestle Quick with Uncle Dave. 
a trout. Uh, when I eat trout, especially fresh trout, my mind goes back to the first time I had fresh trout just out of the Gallatin River in Montana, about 60 miles north of Yellowstone, Gallatin Gateway area. So if I eat fresh trout, my mind goes back to the gentleman at the Christian camp I was preaching at, the camp uh, caretaker who fixed, caught some trout and fixed them up for me to enjoy. If I smell something like shoe fly pie, shoe fly pie is just its own unique taste. I remember the first time I ate shoe fly pie in Limerick, Pennsylvania. I remember being in Sao Paulo, Brazil and eating steak kebabs. They took cinder blocks and put them together and just about anything that would burn, charcoal, wood, they put it all together and they just made these, these uh, kebabs, steak kebabs. It was so good. So if I'm at a restaurant somewhere and they're serving those, I think about being in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I remember eating breakfast, bacon and eggs the morning after I got married. These kinds of things just trigger uh, the senses. Think about how the drama of your life has played out while sharing meals with other people. Think about the stories that you've shared over meals. Think about the new people you've met over meals. Think about the love you found or maybe the love you lost over meals. Think about important decisions you've made over meals, jokes you've told or heard. I remember asking my father-in-law, going into Bob Evans, to ask my father-in-law to marry Sarah. And so even today, like if I'm walking into a Bob Evans, like why are my hands getting sweaty? No, it's really not that bad. But I, I remember the table. Remember the meal. I remember what I ordered. In every country, in every culture of the world, food connects people. It turns strangers into friends. This is the heart behind Psalm 23. Notice food mentioned in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Let's read verse 4 and 5 together. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. In verse 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The heart behind communion is that it's a meal that symbolizes peace with God and with one another. It's beautiful. Lastly, number seven, why celebrate communion this Christmas Number seven, it points to the second coming of Jesus when he makes all things new. Now, there are several verses I'm going to read, and then I'm going to ask you to join me. The first one is in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Communion not only points back to the, the cross, but it points forward to the second coming. When Jesus returns, he says this, for whenever you eat the bread and you drink this cup, he doesn't say you just proclaim the Lord's death, period. He says you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. 
Isaiah 25, 6 and 7 refers to the great day when God makes all things new. And he says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. Will you read verse 8 with me? He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In verse 9, in that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. They'll point to Jesus and say, this is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. If you want to read about this same event in the New Testament, it's in Revelation 19. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's this feast between believers and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he tells us that communion back in 1 Corinthians 11 not only points back to the cross, but it points future to the second coming of Christ, specifically in the timeline when he makes all things new. So communion calls us to remember the second advent of Christ. The first advent is Christmas. The second advent, or coming, is all advent means, is when Jesus returns. Now, a great illustration of this can be seen in the Jewish Passover. If you're familiar with the Jewish Passover, that season uh, taking place at the same time that we celebrate Easter each year, God gave the Jews Passover on their way out of Egypt, and he further described the details of Passover at Mount Sinai. But it would be 40 years before they could celebrate Passover in the promised land. So for those 40 years, as they wandered through the wilderness, for the Jew, the Passover wasn't just looking back to their escape from Egypt, but it was looking forward to the day when they would be in the promised land. To this day, even in 2020, when Jews celebrate Passover, they don't suppose that they're doing something different from the original event, but they say, and I've been to one Seder, one Passover meal, they say this together, this is the night when God brought us out of Egypt. The people sitting around the table become in their minds not distant heirs of the wilderness generation, but in some spiritual way, they see themselves as one people. It's almost as if time is like a telescope, or it just telescopes together, time and space. So at communion, we are like the children of Israel in the wilderness. We're tasting fruit plucked from the promised land. There's a future coming when God will make all things new, but it's not yet. And so we wait during the season of Advent for Jesus to come again. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.
You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.